This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Black Lives Matter says its mission is to eradicate white supremacy and build local power to intervene in violence inflicted on black communities by the state and vigilantes. Yet, as we know, there is a lot more to this group than meets the eye. We know it was founded by three black women, Alicia Garza, Patrice Cullors, and Opal Tometi, two of whom identify as queer. And as recently surfaced video footage showed, Cullors admits she and her fellow organizers are trained Marxists. Now, these activists also work overtime to try to control their image. As the Post Millennial recently reported, Black Lives Matter recently removed a section of text under its What We Believe section that said, in part, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another. What's more, BLM also claimed it is not trying to destroy Christianity, which is a very very interesting claim considering what we're going to be talking about today. My next guest says Black Lives Matter is only tangentially a social and political movement. And he says it's actually guided and informed by the dogma, practices and dark rituals of an occult religion. So we're going to find out more about that now with Don Vino, president of Midwest Christian Outreach and author of Richard Rohr and the Enneagram Secret. Don, so great to welcome you back. How are you? Fat and good looking. (laughs) Well, we'll take that as a positive. It's great to have you with us. Tell us a little bit about this. We know BLM is Marxist. We know they're pro-LGBT. You say, though, this is a deeply occultic religious group that is wearing political garb. Tell us more about that. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting because they are actually the ones who say it is a religion and the whole movement is, is, um, founded on this religion. Everything they do in the movement is based on their religious beliefs, uh, which I found a little surprising. They, they are pretty upfront about that. They have a, a couple of videos talking about it. Uh, one of them is about an hour long or so. And uh, Patrice uh, Kalours is very active in, in um, not only talking about it, but acting it out. She has a whole scene she does in a park uh, where she's dressed up with uh, with wings made of um, portions of clothes of somebody who had passed away. So, Good uh, <clears throat> It originates in Africa, and uh, they tell us a couple of things. Yep. One What's the name priest. of the, Don, just uh, sorry about that. What, yes. Tell us the name of this religion. What is this religion? Odu Ifa. Odu Ifa. Odu Ifa. Uh, it's uh, Yoruba is, uh, is another name that goes by, Yoruba. So you talk about the Yoruba people, that's a religious group, and it uh, starts from West Africa. Uh, and it is involves ancestor worship, where they are calling up the spirits, or they believe they are the spirits of the deceased, uh, who have been 
in their words, hunted down by whites and killed, uh, their lives stolen from them uh, early. So this is pretty central to everything they're doing. When they, when they have a protest, for example, you'll see the uh, leadership out there and they're repeating the names of individuals who have died. They're not just calling the names to your recollection. They're calling on the spirits of those individuals to come and inhabit them to do the work of retribution. Mm-hmm. That's pretty important stuff. Well, it is. Tell us a little bit about Patrice's religious background, because I know you get into that in the article that you put up at your website. But how did she make this movement into this occultic religion where she's doing this kind of divination? You know, that's a that's a really great question, because, as you know, we deal a lot with Jehovah's Witnesses and, and other cult groups. And one of the things that we have noticed over the years is when someone leaves, say, the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, occasionally they come to the true faith, but more likely they will become atheist or get involved in some other pagan uh, religions. We have met a lot of them that got involved with Wicca, for example. In her case, she was a Jehovah's Witness, and when she left the Watchtower, she was very interested in her African roots. And so she started tracking that back, and she got engaged along the way with African religious practices, which, as it happens, are occultic. Now, she wouldn't say they're occultic, but that is what they are. She's calling on spirits. She's doing divination uh, within uh, Odu Ifa. Uh, you have uh, set rituals and practices and doctrine. Uh, it's, it's pretty sophisticated belief system, actually. Goodness. So she went from Jehovah's Witnesses to uh, this... I would say empowering type of religious practices where you're in touch with the spirits in the universe. Right. One of the things that you highlight is a quote from her, I guess, from one of these videos where she said when she left the watchtower and got older, she said she felt she was missing something and ancestral worship became really important. Now, that's something different than maybe those people who would say, I care about my lineage. I care about my ethnic heritage, that sort of thing. Worshiping your ancestors. I mean, that alone right there is indication that there is an occultic root. We don't worship anybody's ancestors, we worship the Lord. Right, right. You know, my, my wife uh, does genealogies. She's, we are interested in, you know, where did we come from? Where our ancestors come from? And as, as it turns out, my ancestors came from France uh, and uh, founded a location in, uh, in Canada. And so we know all of that. We know where her ancestors hail from. But Knowledge of our origins is not the same thing as trying to contact the spirits of our ancestors uh, and to worship them, to make offerings to them, which is exactly what they explain in their videos that they are doing. Uh, And uh, so she picked up a lot of information from the Fowler Museum, which uh, has a lot of African uh, artifacts and history and that sort of thing. Which, as you point out, is kind of a cool thing to know. Where did I come from? What, what were the people like? How did they get here? Those kinds of questions are important. That is not the same, though, as divination, which is what they're doing. And for us, for you and I, <clears throat> scriptures are really clear on this. In Leviticus 19.31, it says, Do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out. 
and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. We are not to be calling on the spirits of the deceased. That is foreboding for us. Exactly. So how is this incorporated into the actions of Black Lives Matter when they're out on the streets? Because as you point out, people might be a little skeptical. They might say, well, it's one thing for Patrice or some other activists to be involved in this religion, but that doesn't make Black Lives Matter an occultic group. How do you refute that? How do you counter that? Well, there's two parts to my response. The first part is the rank and file who are involved in a protest may not realize the religious underpinnings of what's going on. Right. Uh, Right. Because they're concerned about um, a story they have been told that individuals were unfairly treated by police. Now, in some cases, that may be true. In most cases, what we find that's not true. But that's not really the subject of what you and I are talking about today. Uh, so the rank and file are not necessarily engaged in a religious aspect. They may not even realize it. It is giving a platform, however, to the leadership who have said this is religious. This is a religious action that we're taking, a religious experience that we're participating in. Uh, and uh, as they gather to pray... The rest of the group is praying with them, but they may not realize they're not just praying, Lord bless whoever. They're calling on the spirits of these individuals to come and inhabit the protesters to empower them and direct them in the actions that they're taking. Goodness. I mean, demonic possession. Well, that's exactly right. And I guess a lot of Christians who hear about this wouldn't necessarily be surprised that, you know, the father of these people turns out to be who it actually is. But th- there are just some really important questions that I want to get to when we come back. We're going to pause for a quick break with Don Vino from Midwest Christian Outreach. Coming back, talking about the occult links to Black Lives Matter. Stay with us. Gofran and Khaled, two little boys from Syria, were orphaned four years ago. But when they came to Lebanon with their aunt as refugees, Heart for Lebanon was waiting for them. Heart for Lebanon was there to provide Christian education, emergency supplies, and the hope of the gospel to these two boys. Now they listen attentively to the Bible stories they're hearing and are memorizing Bible verses. They have hope now because of what God is doing through Heart for Lebanon. Your investment of $116 will help two families to get emergency supplies that they need to survive during the next 60 days. But best of all, these families will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Call now, 888-247-5499. Here's Camille Melke, founder of Heart for Lebanon, to explain why he's encouraged right now. You could sense maybe from my voice the excitement, right? The sense of God has us here in a time and location in history that is unprecedented. This is an opportunity time, God-sized opportunity time like never before. Right now, you could see a, a wave of people in great anticipation 
at what God will further do in our midst in the years to come. Because I believe that the crisis in Syria is a long-term crisis, unfortunately so. But I also believe that uh, right now we are starting to reap what has been sowed for many, many years in the lives of the refugees. We are seeing churches full of Syrian refugees. We're seeing Muslims coming to Christ. We're seeing children uh, now being the greatest testimony and the best evangelists within their communities. This is the result of many years of hard work and greater, I believe, by faith, far greater results are coming in the near future. Your gift of $116 will allow Heart for Lebanon to help two families survive during the next 60 days. Call now, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com, 888-247-5499. You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now here's Janet. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us. And we are joined today by Don Vino, who is president of Midwest Christian Outreach. And he has done some great work in digging into Black Lives Matter. Now, we know the Marxist connections to Black Lives Matter, the queer connections because of the founders of this group. And many people who have been concerned about racial issues may not be aware of any of this stuff. But in particular, when we look at some of the religious connections that some of these Black Lives Matter leaders have, to this occult religion, uh, it, it is very, very troubling. Don, one of the things that you point out is one of these other leaders of Black Lives Matter, the co-founder actually of Black Lives Matter LA, is Melina Abdullah, who's the chair of the Department of Pan-African Studies at California State University. She is another person who has said some very disturbing things. I want to read one of the phrases here, one of the quotes here that you've got in your article. She said, "As when we come out into the streets and we pray, the first thing that we do when we hear of a murder is we come out, we pray, we pour libations, we build with the community there where the person's life was stolen. And it took almost a year for me to realize that this movement is much more than a racial and social justice movement. At its core, it's a spiritual movement. When we say the names, we speak their names, we say the names, we do that all the time. You kind of invoke that spirit and then those spirits actually become present with you. That's not political. I mean, she's she's saying it right no. there, Don. It is a spiritual movement. Right. And and so on the one hand, I have to appreciate their honesty because they are telling the world, uh, and it's, it's on a YouTube video, which we link to, uh, this is what this is. It's a religious movement. This is what we are doing. We are calling on spirits to come and indwell us. Uh, and not only that, she goes on to talk about building relationships with these spirits. One of the uh, quotes, she says that uh, she, uh, they become very intimate with the spirits that we call on regularly, she says. <laughs> right, like each of them seems to have a different presence and personality. You know, I laugh a lot with Waukesha, you know, and I didn't meet her in her body, right? I met her through this work. <laughs> She's talking about Waukesha Wilson, who was found dead in a uh, L.A. Uh, prison cell in uh, 2017. So she didn't know, didn't meet her, didn't know anything about her while she was alive. She met a, a spirit that she's calling Waukesha. Right. And they laugh, and they, so she's communicating with them on an ongoing basis, building relationships with a spirit. 
that would be a demon. That is not the spirit of the person. Well, right. And so when we are observing these things and we're listening, like you said, to their own words put out there on the Internet, why is this not getting more attention? Why are people not picking up on this and saying, hey, wait, this is way more troubling than I originally thought when we we're talking about these people adhering to this weird religion, Odu Ifa or Yoruba, as you've pointed out, originating with the Yoruba people in Western Africa and involving uh, in divination and calling up spirits. It seems to me that this is extremely significant for people to understand, especially those who call themselves Christians who are trying to join in with some of these protests because they're genuinely concerned about racial issues. Right. I would suggest the reason they don't want to do that and they downplay it is they do not want to be accused of being racist uh, or being narrow-minded because they want to focus on bad things have happened. Yeah. Now, there's a lot more to the discussion than that. And I, I just, by the way, I just finished the, uh, the quest for cosmic justice by um, Thomas Sowell. I would recommend everybody read that particular book because it frames everything that's going on in, in a more factual understanding of the plight of blacks and other groups as well. Now, Having said that, let's go back to why isn't this getting more exposure? The reason is uh, it's it's identity politics at its best. That's what we're seeing. And so the goal in the Marxist aspect, which you have pointed out a couple of times already, is not to bring about um, uh, a better place for blacks in our nation it is to tear down our government, and they've been very clear about that. Yeah. Uh, their whole goal is to to uh, disconnect us from the Constitution and bring in a Marxist government. So that's one aspect of it, and and many don't really want to deal with that because they just want to. They're they're emotionally driven by the pleas of blacks to say we are being unfairly treated. Yeah. Now it's true. They are being unfairly treated. Uh, but is that because of racism or is that because of the cities they're living in and the particular politics that are controlling those cities? Right. See, that's a different kind of a question. Sure. Yeah. Well, and here's another question. How does this occult religion intersect with their goals? Because some people might listen to this and go, well, wait a minute. Marxists are atheists. Generally speaking, when we go back to Karl Marx and Lenin and all the rest, the government is God. If these people are actually intersecting with spirits who we know are demons, how does this all fit together? Being a Marxist, being involved with this West African religion, how does this all go together? Okay. First of all, they're not truly Marxist. They are what we would call neo-Marxist. Marxism is an economic, uh, an economic strategy. Has nothing, whatever, really to do with religion or any of that, any of that kind of stuff. It's just economics. Uh, Neo-Marxists have then taken some of his principles and adapted them to different sorts of things. Now we're adapting it to race relations. Uh, under critical race theory. Right. So when they say they're trained to Marxists, that only means that they have some ideologies that come from Marxism, not that they uh, affirm and believe everything that Marx taught. Sure, right. So it's easy then to integrate because they are eclectic, essentially. They are, they are integrating some Marxist ideas as to how to take over the country 
to create a, utop- a utopia that they have envisioned. Uh, it will never be a reality. It has never worked anywhere. Uh, but that doesn't prevent them from having the vision of the utopia where everything, everybody will share everything equally. And right. they might, but it will be equal poverty, not equal wealth. Of course. Yeah, of course. So. <clears throat> but in believing in Odu Ifa, what end goal does Odu Ifa have? I mean, we're talking about a religion, as you pointed out, that has 16 so-called heavenly prophets that came down to earth and revealed themselves to the prophet of the Ifa religion. I mean, we know what the end goal of Christianity is. We know that the Lord will return and he will take his people and we will see a new heaven and a new earth. He will judge the world in righteousness. There's a heaven, there's a hell. We know how the real reality will end. But in this religion, how do things end? Is there any sort of element within that religion that you know of that has the goal of destroying, you know, a particular country to remake it in some kind of pagan paradise? Well, the answer is yes. There you go. <laughs> uh, that, 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 is, that is the end goal of Odu Ifa. Certainly now that they would, uh, they would want to do it via conversion, not unlike Christianity. Uh, but they're doing it through politics, so they're all interconnected. The religion is the undergirding. It is the empowering force, if you will, as to why they are doing what they're doing. Odu Ifa is saying, okay, our ancestors were killed. Their lives were stolen from them. And it is our goal then to, to uh, do the work of, uh, of uh, retribution uh, to have that matter. Uh, and so that's why the prayers, that's why the offerings, that's why all of those things are going on. So they're intrinsically connected, uh, Odu Ifa, to the marches and the protests, which then erupt into um, uh, riots. Yes. Why? Because yes. they're taking out uh, and punishing the evildoers as they see it. Right. That doesn't sound good. Well, and it hasn't been good. And and how can no. you re- how can you really argue that it's about the the good of the black community when they've been engaged in activities that have destroyed black owned businesses and killed black people? I mean, it's wh- what do you make of the fact too, Don, that you have people who are Christians or evangelical leaders getting on board with this movement as if it's some sort of wonderful, you know, it, it, some kind kind of wonderful group that's just really benign. I mean, that to me is one of the most troubling things. All you need to do is Google to find out about Black Lives Matter. It's not like it's a hard organization to research necessarily. Why are they doing this? Um, Social guilt, primarily social guilt. Uh, You know, it reminds me, I I, I was working on the blog for this week, and the Apostle Paul uh, makes a statement in Romans 16, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Yep. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. They deceive the hearts of the naive. That's what's going on here. Even with Christian leaders, they're not asking the right questions. So they go, okay, blacks are undereducated. And to some degree, that's true. But they're not asking why. They just go, oh, it's racism. Well, maybe there's other reasons why that's the case. Uh, Blacks are underemployed. Well, that's true. 
is it because of uh, systemic racism or are there other reasons? In other words, they're not asking the right questions. They're just assuming the narrative that's put forth by hashtag Black Lives Matters, and they're reacting to that because they're doing so in a naive way. Well, I think there is a naivete to it, because even if you do have genuine concerns about it, if you're not fully informed about what the movement is about and what the movement is doing underneath all of the propaganda, then you're not acting very intelligently, in my view. You you know, especially if you're some kind of a Christian leader, you ought to have better uh, tactics than that when you're actually getting behind and throwing your weight behind any sort of group, especially one that has these connections to occult religion. Well, I want to refer you to midwestoutreach.org you can read all about black black lives matter and its connection to this occult religion don vino with us don thanks so much for being here again great work blessings to you This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. There is a new Marquette University Law School poll that's come out finding that 67% of Americans want the Senate to move forward with confirmation hearings for a Supreme Court justice pick. That has to bum out the Democrats a little bit. And there was not a strong partisan divide over the issue either. 68% of Republicans and 63% of Democrats held that a nomination vote should take place. Uh, This is via the New York Post. This is very interesting. The American people in general want the Supreme Court seat filled, and it should be filled for lots of reasons that we already discussed yesterday. What I'm finding interesting now is the emergence of the discussion about who will replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the court. Now, we know it's going to be a female And knowing Trump, it'll be an originalist. The problem is now we have a little bit of history to look back on. We were all yay Gorsuch and we were all yay Kavanaugh, especially after what he was put through. But when we looked at what Gorsuch did on the Bostock decision, a whole lot of us put our heads in our hands and let go of our heads so they could fall on the table about 20 times. What just happened here? I thought this guy was going to be a conservative. Well, as it turns out, Neil Gorsuch, while conservative, conservative on some things and better certainly than a Democrat pick would ever be. He he was an Episcopalian who was a pro LGBT guy. So what do you think is going to happen? And that's that's an issue that is not talked about. Now, they're talking quite a bit about the pro-life issue. And the reason they're talking about the pro-life issue as much as they are is because the Democrats are trembling with fear that Roe v. Wade might somehow be overturned if the conservatives get a majority on the Supreme Court. I hope and pray for that. 
I do. We also know that if Roe v. Wade were overturned, that would not make all abortions illegal across the United States. It would just turn the question back to the states. We know that because we know what's going on with the pro-life issue. So now all of this attention is getting focused on Amy Coney Barrett and also on this other justice from Florida. And her name is Barbara Lagoa. I didn't have time to get into much on this yesterday. What I found interesting was you have some people who are very intent upon digging stuff up on people, good or bad. I'm not for, you know, not digging stuff up on people that's relevant information. I appreciate it. But there was a particular exchange that was pulled up when Barbara Lagoa was put on the 11th Circuit and she faced some questions from Diane Feinstein. She was asked, do you agree that Roe v. Wade is super precedent? And she said, Roe v. Wade is binding precedent of the Supreme Court and I would faithfully follow it as I would follow all precedent of the Supreme Court, regardless of whether it is referred to as super precedent or not. Is it settled law? Yes. Yes. Roe v. Wade is settled law. She said, for lower court judges, all Supreme Court precedent, including Roe v. Wade, is settled law. If confirmed, I would faithfully apply this precedent and all other precedents of the Supreme Court. That's raising some questions in people's minds. How pro-life is she? Now, she is a darling of the Federalist Society. She's had a long storied history in Florida as a conservative. Ron DeSantis put her on the Florida Supreme Court. She has a strong background. She really does have a strong background. But I think there are so many conservatives now who are saying, please don't burn us again. Please don't burn us again. The frustration that I think many of us feel is that when a progressive puts somebody forward, not just as a Supreme Court pick, but even candidates that they put forward. They never seem to really put forward candidates, at least not very often, who will get into office and then disappoint the very people who put them there. That doesn't happen a lot in liberal circles. Now, it depends on which group you're looking at, which group you're talking to. If you have far left radical communists, they might be disappointed in, you know, Dan Lipinski from Illinois, who was pro-life. I understand that scenario, but they have pretty well purged the party of anybody pro-life to begin with. So the pro-lifers are, you know, like dodo birds over in the Democrat Party. You're not going to find one. They don't exist. On the other hand, On the Republican side of the aisle, we have complained for years. I thought this guy was a good guy. I thought this guy was pro-life. And then he gets up on Capitol Hill and he doesn't lift one teeny tiny finger to put up a fight. Where are the fighters? Where are the people who will actually burn things up like Bob Dornan of, of old, the Orange County, California Republican who is firebrand when it came to the pro-life issue and other people, Henry Hyde from Illinois, for example. Where are these kinds of guys? will actually go to the mat for the unborn. Where are they? And we were frustrated and frustrated and frustrated. Frankly, I could say right now, I'm as frustrated with Republicans on the issue of the LGBT radicalism as I am, you know, as a pro-lifer looking at some of these guys over the last several decades. I'm just as frustrated with that, except I don't think that the political temperature right now is focused on the LGBT issue as much as it should be. It should be but we're all distracted by stuff right now. So pro-life it is. I'm fine with that. I'd love to see Roe v. Wade overturned. Will it be overturned? Not really sure. So then people pulled out the comments of Amy Coney Barrett when she was talking to Senator Richard Blumenthal back in 2017 when she was confirmed to the Seventh Circuit. And she was asked about this issue of Roe. And she said she was asked, under what circumstances would you decide to defer to your best understanding of the Constitution rather than to precedent? 
She said, if I'm confirmed, there are no circumstances under which I would defer to my best understanding of the Constitution rather than to Supreme Court precedent. As for potential conflicts between my best understanding of the Constitution and Seventh Circuit precedent, I would apply the law of stare decisis for an explanation of the language you quote in context. Please see my answer to you know, blah, blah, blah. Under what circumstances would you find it appropriate for a judge to decline to follow Supreme Court precedent? And her answer was none. A lower court's obligation to follow Supreme Court precedent is absolute. So there's really not that big of a difference, I would say, in those particular answers from those judges. And those people who work as attorneys and know the law have opined that they have to say that. That's that's the appropriate legal response from somebody who's serving as a judge. So I accept that. But what that leaves me with is an uncertainty in my mind. Are we going to get another Gorsuch? Are we going to get another Sandra Day O'Connor? Remember this whole thing? This is almost predating me, but the Sandra Day O'Connor thing. Oh, Reagan appointed Sandra Day O'Connor. She's going to be awesome. She wasn't that awesome. And, and that brings me to another issue that I have. And it's the whole argument about why we need this person, why we need that person. Over at Town Hall, Guy Benson wrote this column on why he thinks, oh, probably he should go with Judge Barbara Lagoa of the 11th Circuit. Why? Because she's the one who would more easily get through. She's a Latina and he needs Florida. Okay, let me just pause for a moment. I was saying this to my husband earlier today. I said, have you ever voted for somebody or or, or voted for a presidential ticket, for example? Here's an example of this. Oh, who is the nominee for president going to choose as his vice presidential pick? Well, he'll have to choose a guy who's going to help him win the state of fill in the blank. And I said, have you ever voted for a candidate because the guy was from your state? I mean, how many votes do you really pick up? I understand the mentality. If you're putting somebody on your ticket who is popular in that state and you needed that state, then perhaps that would carry over to voting for him for president or vice president. Fine. But a judge? Is that really good? <laughs> I'm not really sure you're going to pick up a ton of votes because you picked a particular person with identity politics, you know, in mind who, you know, has credentials. I, the identity politics thing really bugs me. To this day, maybe I shouldn't say this. Maybe this isn't something that's popular with people, but I don't like, I understand it's pragmatic, but I don't like justices for the Supreme Court being picked because they're women. I know why he's doing it. And I'm not saying that there are not women who are smart and great judges. No doubt there are. I just find it annoying. You know why? Because I want the most conservative, most qualified justice that there is in this country, the best originalist, the best guy in the tradition of Antonin Scalia or Clarence Thomas to take that seat. I'm tired of this. And in fact, Politico has a really good article, surprisingly, on how there are a number of people behind the scenes in the conservative movement who are saying similar things, not about women, but but saying we just want someone who's really reliably conservative and originalist and who's going to be like Scalia. But then it goes back to the pragmatism. How do you get them through? Then it's going to be a war. You know, the progressives never worry about this stuff. We better pick somebody who's not too liberal because then they won't get approved. Now, they'll get Susan Collins. They'll get Lisa Murkowski. We know the whole drill. It's frustrating when the ideology that actually is true is not considered to be a high enough priority to let it just stand on its own. Always happens on the left. Doesn't happen much on the right. We'll come back. Stay with us. You're listening to Janet Meffer today.
Are you in need of a healthcare program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org/jmt. That's libertyhealthshare.org/jmt or call now 855-565-2561. 855-565 What's it like when a pregnant mom sees her baby for the first time? It all came down to the ultrasound. And I saw this little lima bean looking thing with a halo, which I thought was incredible. A baby wasn't really in the plan for this young mom. After seeing a halo on her baby on ultrasound at a preborn center, she was still leaning towards abortion. And I got to hear the heartbeat and I got chills. In that moment, I just felt God's arms come around me and hug me and tell me that it was going to be okay. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. Ultrasounds save lives. Would you join with Preborn in helping moms to choose life? To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a Preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. I'm going to finish up just a little bit on this issue of filling Ruth Bader Ginsburg's spot on the Supreme Court. I was telling you a new poll from Marquette finds that a majority of Americans want the Senate to move forward with this. And I want it done, too. But I want the right person there. What I'm finding hilarious is how hilarious in an ironic way, not not really in a haha way. I shouldn't say hilarious because hilarious implies humor. It's humorous if you're feeling happy today, but it's not that funny if you consider what actually is happening here. When you listen to the way these Democrats talk about flip-flopping on the issue of the Supreme Court and being able to fill somebody in an election year, here, for example, is 2016 Joe Biden uh, preceded by 2020 Biden. Listen to how the Democrat nominee for the presidency talks about this issue this year, and then they do a flashback to how he talked about it four years ago. This is cut one. Even if President Trump wants to put forward a name now, the Senate should not act until after the American people select their next president, their next Congress, their next Senate. If Donald Trump wins the election, then the Senate should move on his selection and weigh the nominee he chooses fairly. But if I win this election, President Trump's nominee should be withdrawn. As a new president, I should be the one who nominates Justice Ginsburg's successor. I made it absolutely clear that I would go forward with the confirmation progress process as chairman, even a few months before presidential election. If the nominee were chosen with the advice and not merely the consent of the Senate, just as the Constitution requires. My consistent advice to presidents of both parties, including this president, has been that we should engage fully 
in the constitutional process of advice and consent. And my consistent understanding of the Constitution has been the Senate must do so as well, period. They have an obligation to do so. Now there's Joe Biden. Just pick which one you like. Joe Biden will do whatever Joe Biden needs to do on any given day and then call himself consistent. These people are just liars. I get tired of liars. I don't like liars, regardless of the letter behind their representative or senator designation. I don't like people who lie to me. And I would think that people who even back Democrats wouldn't want to be lied to either. Quit being a hypocrite. Pick a side and stick with it. Because if it's a principle you're standing on, then it should apply across political lines at all times in all years. And even the Washington Post, when writing about this issue of putting in a new Ginsburg pick uh, to replace her, we're talking about how, oh, yeah, and, you know, this is just this is bad what these Republicans are trying to do because 2016, it didn't happen. Right. But we all know why, because you had opposite parties in power. You had a, a Democrat president and Barack Obama, who was a lame duck, and you had a Republican controlled Senate. When you have that split in parties, it makes all the difference. So that's why 2016 went down the way it did. Now, I, I want to talk about something else just briefly while I have a little bit of time, because this really bothered me. We were talking earlier with Don Vino about Black Lives Matter and Black Lives Matter's roots, Marxist roots, and the queer ideology that has infiltrated the organization from the beginning, and the occult religion ties that it has through Patrice Cullors. But here's something that really, really bothered me when I read this story. It's about this man. Perhaps you've heard of him, Jake Gardner. Jake Gardner is that bar owner in Omaha who ended up shooting a young black man, 22 years of age, and he's committed suicide now right after he was indicted by a grand jury. But here's what's really annoying about this and and very tragic about this. The D.A., had cleared him of any wrongdoing because his bar had been vandalized. He came out, this black man, James Skurlock, had jumped on him and it it was a self-defense. The DA came out, the police came out and both said it was done in self-defense. This is this DA Klein. He originally ruled, uh, this is reported at the Post Millennial, he originally ruled Gardner's case was an act of self-defense, declining to pursue charges after reviewing corroborating evidence. Klein had determined that Skurlock dived on Gardner's back and choked him. Gardner could be heard in another bystander's video shouting, get off me, get off me. And with his right arm pinned, Klein noted, uh, Gardner switched the gun to his left hand, fired over his shoulder, and he hit Skurlock in the shoulder and neck area, and it killed him. But Klein buckled after Black Lives Matter activists took to the district attorney's house in July, demanding justice for Skurlock. And this friend of Jake Gardner has now come forward under a pseudonym and said, you can't tell me a person found completely innocent on the grounds of self-defense was later found indicted because of pressure and numerous anonymous witnesses that came forth against Jake later on. I don't believe them to be even credible in Jake's death. I believe it's personally at the feet of weak city officials and mob rule. This friend criticized the mainstream media for vilifying Gardner and glorifying the deceased black rioter who assaulted Gardner. uh, Gardner. And meanwhile, a GoFundMe established for Skurlock's family raised more than a quarter of a million dollars. What happened with the GoFundMe for Jake Gardner? It was shut down twice because Black Lives Matter activists swarmed GoFundMe and put pressure on them. This is mob rule. 
This is mob rule. Nobody wants to see anybody killed in the streets of America, white, black, or otherwise. Nobody. But there is such a thing as evidence, and there is such a, it's just so tragic. It's so unbelievably tragic what happened here. And this man was a Marine. This man served his country. And I want to play one other cut of Jake Gardner, because I think this is important. There were a lot of people who were out on social media referring to him as a white supremacist, and he was a racist, and he was a terrible guy. According to the reports, he had held some Republican events and was a Trump campaign volunteer, but he held some of these Republican events at his bar. So people had been screaming white supremacist about him before this ever happened. But was there any truth to it? Well, you can maybe judge for yourself or at least get a little glimpse of this man. This was a cut that made the rounds on social media of Jake Gardner when he attended Trump's inauguration. Listen to cut six. So can you just tell us your name and where you're from, sir? My name is Jake Gardner. I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. And then, Jake, uh, what brings you to, to D.C.? I'm here for the inauguration. Okay, I understand you were a volunteer for the Trump yeah, campaign? Yeah, I was a volunteer for the Trump campaign in Nebraska, California, and Michigan. Okay. And um, what do you think about what's going on here today with the Women's March? Uh, you know, these people just want to be heard, and it's, it's a very appropriate venue, a very appropriate weekend with all eyes on them. So, I mean... It is what it is. It's it's kind of crazy being in the belly of the beast here with my, my Trump gear and my Make America Great vest on my dog, you know, and uh, all the dirty looks. Everybody loves the dog until they read the vest, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, everybody just wants to be heard. And so that's what they're doing. They're not being violent. There's not, there's not even that issue with this group. Does he sound like a terrible person there? He He's not even taking the opportunity as a Trump supporter to go after the Women's March as a bunch of harpies, <laughs> which is a word I might use. That was where Madonna talked about burning down the White House. Uh, a lot of screechy crazies at that particular march, and he didn't say that. He's like, everybody wants to be heard. Doesn't sound like an extremist to me. This is a man who served his country. It's terrible that this man was killed, but he was, a, you know, Skurlock, he was attacked. He had a long criminal record, by the way, which isn't discussed a whole lot, but I think is pertinent when you look at all the facts involved in this. It's just awful. And his bar is attacked. His bar is vandalized. He's attacked in the streets. What's he supposed to do? What's he supposed to do? It's like the people on social media who yell when they see these videos of people in cars being attacked by rioters and they hit the gas. How could he have done this? This guy on top of his car went flying. Well, maybe the guy shouldn't have been on top of his car. Have you ever considered that? Why why as a country can we not all agree that rioting and attacking people and looting and setting fires and shooting people and climbing up on top of people's cars when they're blocking roads and you're just trying to get through, that that stuff is objectively wrong for anybody at any time and those people should be arrested and they should have the book thrown at them for doing it. You want to live in a country where the law is not equally applied, you're beginning to see it happen, unfortunately. And it's ironic because this is exactly what a lot of these BLM activists have been complaining about on their side. Oh, the law is not equally applied. Well, what do you call your rioters? Why aren't they getting arrested? Everybody who's getting arrested in Portland is immediately let out on bail because they have such extreme amounts of money that are flowing in from leftist activists and other sorts of globalists. And then you have the prosecutors who are receiving Soros money, like in Chicago. John Cass of the Chicago Tribune points this out. And then he gets demoted from his job at the Chicago Tribune for saying it. But it's objectively true. So where are we as Americans? Not in a good place. Not in a good place. 
We are losing our concept of the rule of law, Lex Rex. That's what it is. Going back to Samuel Rutherford, this is important. The law is king. No man is is the law. We don't have a divine right of kings and we don't have a divine right of mobs either. And we better remember that and get back to the rule of law sooner than later or who knows what this country will become. Pray for this nation. Thank you for joining us. We're out of time. We'll see you next time right here on Janet Meffer Today. God bless. God bless.